What's up, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mike, just two bearded dudes here to chat about all the movies you love, hate, don't mind, or simply never heard of. <sighs> we gotta do a Star Wars day at one point. No, because I'm not gonna watch them, because I hate them. You hate everything about it? Like you, It's like an old cowboy movie, or like it's like a classic storyline, it's just put in space. Super boring. Welcome back to another Top 10 Tuesdays of Beer to B-Roll. Today we're going to be talking about the Top 10 Best Beach Scenes. Full robot. Nah, I was messing with you. You don't sound like a robot. You sound fine. <sighs> Alright, so do you want to start it off or should I? You start it off. Spoiler alert, because several of mine are the final scenes in movies. The first time you've ever actually given one? Well, because the first thing I'm going to say is like the last freeze frame scene of a movie. Alright, so my first beach scene is from the very, very, very tail end of the movie 400 Blows from 1959. It's basically a classic French film, and it was sort of the advent of a new wave cinema. So, You really just give away spoilers to some weird French film that nobody's probably seen. Definitely not people listening. How many listeners we got in France? I, it, does, it doesn't... I don't think any One, in France, actually. <laughs> negative three. Okay, so I think it's fine to go without spoilers on that one. Well, it's 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 a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should. And it's about this uh, little boy named, I believe, Alex. I saw it a long time ago. And he just is a constant kind of fuck up, basically. He just continuously makes mistakes, gets himself into trouble. But there's a great scene where he ditches school with a friend. And he's outside walking around with his friend, playing hooky. And then he bumps into his mother. And she's walking around, holding the hand of someone that's like definitely not his father. So the mother looks at the son. The son looks at the mother. They both understand that someone's doing something inappropriate on both sides, and then they sort of like nod and just walk away from each other without saying a fucking word. And then later that day, the son walks in, and he's like, I got a photo of this. You're going to do what I say, and then Pornhub, that's number one search for like 10 decades. Yeah, I don't think Pornhub was a thing in 1959. But anyway, at the very end of the movie, he gets in a bunch of trouble. I think at one point he steals a typewriter or something, and he gets arrested and sent to like a youth correctional facility or something. And he basically makes a break for it. And he runs and runs and runs until he reaches the ocean that he has never been to before. And it just sort of freeze frames on his face staring at the ocean at the very end of the movie. And, you know, it's meant to like just emphasize the uncertainty of life. Um, They made several other sequels to it um, that continue the story of this kid, but it was originally just supposed to be one movie. So that's my number 10. I don't understand why people like, and I'm going to do this purposefully because I know it makes you mad when I do stuff like this and be all pretentious, but it, it's on the equivalent of the religious thing. But I don't understand people that like French art films when there's German art films and German art films are way better. Like the boy with the red balloon or whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, I think everything has its place. And I think pretty much any art film makes one pretentious. Yeah, like the stupid one you made me watch today. <laughs> so much incest. Um... <laughs> So my number 10 is the one that I marked as number six on here because that was the order in which I found it. I'm going to go with the end of the original Planet of the Apes, not the remakes because that was dumb. And also, I think the same thing. But at the end of the original one where Charleston Heston sees spoilers, the Statue of Liberty <laughs> and yells, damn you all to hell. Doesn't he yell like maniacs or something? He yells a bunch of stuff, but like that was the one I wanted to go with. 
Um, I feel like he just yelled at the end of all of his movies. He was in Soylent Green, right? He's the one that, yeah, that yelled yeah. at Soylent Green. With people. <laughs> that's a weird. That's a weird thing to be known for. Is just yelling shit at the end of things. Actually, that's kind of his thing, though. He played Moses in the Ten Commandments, right? Wasn't he yelling, "Let my people go"? He's just Probably, like known. Yeah, for he just yelled things. at the end of movies. Like that's his thing. People were like, "All right, who do we? Who do we need? We need someone that's going to be like pretty mild mannered all the way through, and then at the end just, just yell stuff." Wilson Heston. I feel like the guy that took up that mantle was Al Pacino, though. He yells for all of his movies, though. Like just all the way through. There's like a lot of times where he's yelling. It's not just the end. Mom, okay, fair enough. And it's not just like the conclusion. Like I don't know what it was with movies back then in in this time period, and just like that's when the reveal of everything is is the last thirty seconds while Charleston Heston's screaming about it. Well, I mean, the nineteen sixty eight Planet of the Apes was kind of one of the first movies that really had like a twist ending when you think about it. Like they traveled all through space. They thought they were on a completely different planet. They didn't realize they were in like future Earth that had been destroyed by nuclear warfare and that they were just stuck there. He realized at that moment he was like never getting home and when does he call them you damn dirty apes? Because my whole life I thought it was in that scene. <laughs> no, no, there's a couple different scenes. The uh, There's the one where he gets locked in the room and they're like spraying him with a hose and he's yelling, it's a madhouse, a madhouse. But then he escapes from that facility at one point and there's a scene where he's running through the ape village and he gets caught in a net and um, he, he couldn't speak for like the majority of the movie for the, from the beginning at least because they had damaged his throat when they put him in a collar. And at this point, the apes didn't believe humans could speak at all because they thought they were like totally feral. And he gets caught in this netting and he's hoisted up in front of all these people. And they're all like, oh my God, one of them got out. And one of the gorilla ones walks over and like touches him. And he goes, get your paws off me, you damn dirty ape. But that's like in the middle of the movie. I guess it's closer to the end, but it's not like the end end. So we're on your number nine. My number nine. Just Jaws. Just Jaws as a whole, just the first whole Jaws, because the whole movie, except for like the three scenes that take place at his house, is on the beach. I just like that Jaws is like one of those films that are like played that classic, uh, they, they do that thing, but like it's, it's like a modern thing mostly that people think about it where like no matter how terrible a situation is, I mean it can relate to COVID right now, where like no matter how terrible it is, they're not going to close the tourist destinations. No matter yeah. how much danger people are in from it. I feel like a lot of movies have followed that since then. It's like anytime there's some type of crisis, somebody wants to make money off of it or doesn't think it's a big enough deal. And then it's like a total fucking disaster. So like I didn't actually read Jaws, but apparently the book was really fucking different from the movie. Because in this movie, it's like Chief Brody's wife is this really like faithful, loving woman. They have a great relationship and he's friends with Richard Dreyfuss's character. But apparently in the book, he and his wife like hate each other. He's an alcoholic. And then she starts having an affair with the Richard Dreyfuss character. Nice. It's like super different in the book. If, I, if every time I like had a movie where I was like, I didn't read the book, it'd be like 90% of movies. Usually if I read the book, I have no interest in watching the movies. Sometimes the movies are better. I mean, it's not often, I guess, but. Um... Remember that weird trend when they were making like movies out of, or books out of movies? Like it was like reverse and it was just bad. Oh, they still do that. It's it's they just release it and they call it the novelization of whatever movie it was. That's so dumb. All right, what's your number nine? It's like why would I want to read this for you know four days when I could watch it in two hours? Um, my number nine, and you're going to tease me for this one, but um, it's actually City of Angels from 1997 with uh, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. Why would I tease you about that? That is one of my favorite movies of all time. I thought I've told you about that story. Mm, refresh me. I just figured you'd think it was like overly sentimental. 
Oh, it is. No, it's not my it's not my favorite story because of the movie. It's my favorite story, and I'm assuming I think I know the scene you're talking about anyway. But my favorite part of that movie is the fact that uh, me and my mom's one ex husband were watching it with her, and she is crying. And it's spoilers. This is the end scene anyway. Mm-hmm, it is. He just became a human again. And she's like all celebrating, riding her bike. And we're both like, yo, she's going to get hit by a truck. And my mom's like, shut up. No, she's not. Loves. And then boom. And I'm like, oh my God. Like literally predicted it 10 minutes before it happened. But it was the greatest moment of our lives because I'm pretty sure she hit us. I was actually going to say, even if you hated the rest of the movie, I'm sure you loved this one scene. And I was going to describe exactly that. He like goes through, <laughs> he casts off his angelness. He descends to humanity and he gives it all up, all the celestial whatever, just for this woman. And then she gets killed like five fucking minutes later. But yeah. um, the part I'm talking about is specifically the, the end scene, because there's a scene earlier in the movie where he goes, I think his friend was like Andre Brower, and they would go to the beach to listen to some like celestial choral music that showed that they only angels could hear as the sun rose over the ocean. But then later yeah. at the end of the movie, after he's all like, sad because the woman he loved died he just goes for a swim in the water and his all the other angels are standing there i don't think he can see them anymore but he can hear them and um they're just standing there listening to the music while he goes for a swim and he's enjoying the water and his angel friend smiles at him and i just thought it was kind of like i guess i'm sentimental about it but um i appreciated it that movie's corny as crap though oh no it totally is it's actually it's a it's a like a ripoff remake of a movie from 1988 called Wings of Desire that's significantly better, but it's like more of an art film and it's in black and white. All movies are ripoffs of other movies. Yeah, well, she got annihilated by that truck. Well, I don't think they really showed it in any graphic detail, but I mean, it was an 18 fucking wheeler. Well, she was like riding a bike down the street with like her arms out, Jesus pose in front of her like she's fucking Jax Teller and she Leaning has her eyes backwards. closed. Yeah. So yeah. her head got lopped off. All right, um, what's your number eight? My number eight is um, a scene from the beginning of The Karate Kid where he manages to make some friends on the beach, Daniel, and he's playing soccer with some kids. He starts flirting with Elizabeth Shue a little bit, and then Johnny and the rest of the uh, Cobra Kai show up on their dirt bikes, and he breaks her radio, and then Daniel's like, no, I'm going to pick the radio up because apparently he thinks he can like fix radios, and then... Johnny Lawrence just like decimates the fuck out of him and just beats the shit out of him in front of all his new friends. And I'm putting that in air quotes because when they see him get his ass kicked, they're like, man, you said this guy was cool. And then they walk away. The only person that was nice about it was Elizabeth Shue, but it was just like a good ass whipping. So, so you did to me what I'm assuming I already did to you. So this is going to come back. What's going to come back? What I did to you. That's also on my list. Just like I'm assuming Plenty of the Apes was on yours. Uh, yeah, Planet of the Apes is my number my number four. Oh my god, Karate Kid is my number four. <laughs> was it the scene I just described? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> just, just good placement for those that we stole from each other. So we just skipped number four all together. Nice. Um, so what what, we on? we're on your number eight, I believe. My number eight. Um, the, the Little Monsters with Howie Mandel. Oh, the end, right? Yeah, the very end, which now, after I was, like, thinking about it and rewatch, like, before I, like, rewatched it to make sure I was right, I, is this the same ending in The Goonies, basically? Uh, well, the, the Goonies, they, they show climb up. out of the tunnel in the, at the beach, right? And then there was a sh- pirate ship sailing itself through some rocks? I don't really know what happened. I, this, this I just, was... I just wanted the, I just want, it, this is different, but it's, like, sort of the same, because it's also the same time period, a bunch of kids coming out of, like, a secret underground lair 
on the beach. And I, so I, yeah, I don't know. At first I thought I was thinking of the wrong movie, but then I was like, oh no, I'm right. Because it's like a lawn chair or like a towel because I guess, I guess we got to explain in the movie, the under your bed is a portal to a secret monster place. So anywhere that you're sleeping also counts as a bed, which also counts as a secret portal. And there's like a homeless man that's like living on the beach, sleeping on like a, a beach towel. No, he was on a, he was on like a lounge chair. Yeah. Like like one of those plastic chair. ones. And so at the end of the movie, after they, they save the day and defeat the super creepy monster, that boy monster boy thing, they climb out on the beach underneath this chair. And that's just like, I just thought that was cool because it's, it, it's reminiscent of like what monsters Inc did later where like just anything that could be a door is a door. Yeah, pretty much. And this was a cool one because they were down there for too long because they were rescuing the little brother and the portal for like their actual house was already closed. And if they didn't get out in time, they would all be, you know, stuck down there and turn into monsters. So they had to keep like running westward underneath this, um, you know, obviously space is compressed down here, but they have to keep running west, like to try to get to a bed before sunrise. And they finally end up doing that in Malibu Beach. So then there's this great scene during the credits where he calls his parents from a payphone and they're freaking out because the kids are gone. And I think they were originally in like Massachusetts or something when the movie yeah, started. East yeah. And they were like, where are you? And he's like, Malibu. And then it like freeze frames. <laughs> but no, that was, that was actually, I, I like that movie a lot. Actually. It's that was one of my favorite as a kid. And then I watched it again with my kids. And I'm like, this is it's not a kid's movie. No, I did too. And it still pretty much holds up. Like it's not, it's not that terrible. The the kid, the monster kid at the end, though, is actually genuinely like scary for kids. I was like, oh, he's a lot. Which kid? You mean like boy, the main villain? Yeah, boy. When his like his face peels off and he's like some kind of weird muppet. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was actually like pretty disturbing because there's that weird that shot where it goes around his head and you can see that like his like flesh mask is pretty much just like being held on by strings and there's like a weird monster like slimy head popping out of the back. So. Yeah, that it was very creepy, but it was, I don't know, it was, it was very different. It was pretty, there's like not really a lot you can compare it to. Um, so what are we on, my number seven? Aren't we on your number eight? No, no, that was Karate Kid. I thought that was number nine. That was City of Angels. Then yeah, we're on number seven. All right, my number seven is uh, from Creep Show 1, which I believe was 1982. Um, the segment with Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson. So I don't, I can't, I like very, very barely remember that. Well, Leslie Nielsen plays this rich guy and his wife was getting ready to leave him for Ted Danson, who may or may not have been her tennis instructor. I don't really know. And he bench pressed 300 pounds. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that comes up, but that doesn't really help in this situation. Leslie Nielsen picks him up, uh, brings him out to the beach, telling him he'll see the woman. But then she's not there, and he basically pulls a gun out and forces Ted Danson to dig a big hole in the sand and get in it, and then he buries him up to his neck. And then Leslie Nielsen loves technology in this, but like 80s technology, which would have been pretty expensive at the time. He brings out like this giant extension cord and this TV and this VCR and like shows him a, a tape of her in the same position he is, with you know, like neck buried in the sand. Uh, and she's at a different part of the beach with a tide already started coming in in this in this video and Mm -hmm. basically tells ted danson to hold his breath and uh leaves him there till the tide comes in and then he dies and then you know eventually ted danson and the woman come back as like these weird swamp monster zombie things that 
do the same thing to Leslie Nielsen. So there's this great scene at the end where it freeze frames and turns back to a comic book illustration of him yelling, I can hold my breath for a long time. Nice. But he's like crazy by this point. Is he just laughing at everything? So that's, that's my number seven. You know, because I'm just bouncing around my list anyway, because I put it in a random order. Um, how about this? I'm going to go with Creep Show 2, The Raft. That was a lake, though, man. I guess it was a beach. It's a lake beach. It's a be- There's sand and water. That makes it a beach. That's where my wife and kids go, usually, because Pennsylvania's landlocked. So, but, um, so there, there's it's a group of teenager, I guess they're like college-aged kids, because the one kid keeps mentioning how he's uh, pre-med or whatever. And they, they swim out to a raft, and then like a giant oil slick blob seaweed monster thing. Not going to lie. I saw this when I was like way too young and it, it kind of I me up. I watched Creep Show 2 last night. Who played the creep? What the fuck? This, I've, oh my God. I know because it's been mentioned like 57 times and now I forgot his name. Tom Savini. That's his name. Tom Savini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, these kids just get attacked by this this monster thing. And technically, it does end on the beach because the guy gets back to the water screaming about how he was faster. And then a giant blob monster wave jumps up and melts his skin off and drags him into the lake. He didn't think for a second that it could have come out of the water. I probably wouldn't have stopped running until I hit the interstate. <laughs> Just at least gotten in the car? No. What's your number? Whatever number we're on. My number six? Yeah. My number six is The Karate Kid from 1984. Again? Again. Again. Different scene. It's the scene where uh, he has Daniel. It's daylight this time. He has, it's Mr. Miyagi's already teaching Daniel son karate, I guess. Uh, Daniel's in the water practicing his balance. He's like trying to stand still or practice kicking while the waves are crashing into him. So this part though, right here that you're just about to describe, can you just like, you don't have to say the karate kid. You could be like all of them because at some point in all of them, there's a beach training montage. Well, yeah, but it's not just the training montage. It's what happens after. Okay. Because he looks over and sees Mr. Miyagi practicing the crane kick and his balance because he's standing on this one like half a telephone pole sticking up out of the sand, doing the kick, landing on one foot. But then they get back to the car. And I think one of the guys leaning on the car playing a redneck was actually the guy from Dr. Giggles, now that I'm thinking about it. He gets back to the car and there's like these two redneck guys standing there drinking beer on like the front of his pickup truck. And um, they start saying some weird racist stuff to him. And then Mr. Miyagi does like a karate chop and like chops off the necks of both of the bottles and guys run away. Nice. And he was like, how'd you do that? He was like, don't know, never tried. It's funny if you watch it knowing what's going to happen because you can see that the bottles are like firmly affixed to the vehicle. Like, because he hits them really? and they, they, they don't go like anywhere. They're like super glued on there, suction cupped on there or something. But it was still fun. All right. My number five, also a spoiler, the ending of Point Break. Nice. That's a good one. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, because, you know, he's, I think it takes place like several months after like the main events, like with the skydiving and everything. But it's Keanu Reeves finally tracked down Bodhi, uh, Bodhisattva, you know, Patrick Swayze's character at some kind of beach in, I want to say like New Zealand or something, because they talked about it earlier in the movie. And um, he handcuffs him like right before Patrick Swayze is about to go in the water. And they have this kind of conversation about, you know, the ultimate thrill. Don't take this away from me. I don't want to die in a box. And like, they had been friends. I mean, honestly, the end scene of fucking Fast and the Furious is like identical to this in every way. Because he like throws the keys to Vin Diesel and goes, get out of here, you crazy kid. And then... Well, I mean, it's very clear that Fast and the Furious was just Point break, but instead of surfing, it's cars. Yeah, no, it's a total reskin. But 
minus the skydiving scene, which was really great in Point Break, actually. No, they added that into other ones when they got more extreme in the, the, the future Fast and the Furious franchises. I think I only saw the first like three or four. But anyway, Keanu Reeves goes, okay, you know what? You're my friend, whatever. And he lets Patrick Swayze, he uncuffs him. Patrick Swayze goes out into the ocean and starts swimming. Obviously, it's not really Patrick Swayze, but this guy's like swimming up these giant like 30-foot waves because there's a big storm at the same time. And like the New Zealand police come over like, what did you do? You let him go. Don't worry. He'll have to come back. And Keanu Reeves is like, he's not coming back. And then like walks off the camera. Yeah, because he's definitely dead because you can't surf that. Well, because his plan was to go out doing what he loved. So I don't know. It was like more definitively an ending than Fast and the Furious because there was there was not like seven more point break movies because we didn't need that. But I don't know. Did I, you I, was, I did not like the remake that much. I didn't watch it. I saw that the Metacritic score was like 30 and I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. The remake was more of a, of a like a copy of a copy. It's like the remake was not meant to be based off Point Break, but based off Fast and the Furious. Oh, so they did like what Fast and the Furious did to Point Break with Fast and the Furious for Point Break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like like multiplicity, you know, like when the one clone tried to clone himself. <laughs> it's like a Russian nesting doll. But it gets shittier the farther in you go. All right, what are we on? You're number five, right? My number five. It's the the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, I don't remember which one it is, but it's the one where Jack gets trapped in Davy Jones' locker. I think that was the second one then, right? Yeah, it's got to be, because it was not the first one. But uh, it's it's technically a desert, I guess, but it's like a beach desert because there's no water. But he's trying to sail a boat with a crew of just himself and like shooting himself and talking to himself. And I don't know. It's just kind of awesome. So he's seeing multiple versions of himself. Well, his whole pirate crew is himself, but like like 40 or 50 of them. Like just doing different pirate things. And he shoots the one because the one's about to eat a peanut. And he's just like, no, that's my peanut. Because I guess they have no food because they're in a desert. I for sure did not see this movie. Really? You've never seen this scene? I think I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean, and I didn't really like it. It's all right for a Disney movie. There's supposed to be an R-rated one at some point. What's your number five? My number four, and we can skip four completely because we already talked about it, but my number four is the end of Planet of the Apes when he sees the Statue of Liberty. And your number four was Karate Kid when Daniel LaRusso gets his ass kicked by Johnny Lawrence, right? That is true. That is what it was. Okay, so we are on your number three. Okay, number three. Have you ever seen the Baywatch movie? No, it's like Zac Efron and and The Rock, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's like R-rated Baywatch, and it was hilarious because, like, I don't know, I liked it. It was like a weird time in, like, movies where there was, like, 21 Jump Street and, like, Baywatch. and But then the Chips movie came out where they were, like, remaking these, like, old shows into like r-rated comedy movies like these shows aren't even comedies it's just i don't know why they were doing it but i liked it but um there's a scene in the baywatch movie where zach efron is like i guess like an olympic swimmer or something that has like trouble with the law or something so he has to like go and he's trying to become a lifeguard for baywatch and the the rock like challenges him to like do their obstacle course and he goes through like this like ninja warrior style course and he finishes it and rock's like man that's pretty good. It's probably the best time ever. That's not the course that I was talking about, though. So he just like has him do it to tire him out. And then he takes him to another course and they do like the equivalent of like Navy SEAL training or like uh, CrossFit or something where they're like shoving giant tires down the beach, which, of course, like the rock, who's like 10 times the size of Zac Efron, 
is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> like strength challenges and stuff. But Zac Efron was like ripped for this movie. Like it was ridiculous. Like, he was huge. All right. So my number three has significantly less uh, toned and tanned bodies in it than Baywatch, but it's going to sound familiar. It's Saving Private Ryan from 1999. Oh, cool. I can totally skip this then. The opening scene, you know, with like landing on the beaches in Normandy on D-Day is it was Omaha like... Beach. I thought it was Normandy. It says Omaha Beach though. Really? Okay. Uh, I mean, they're all like kind of in the same area. Because I looked that up because I was like, that's Normandy, right? And I was like, no, it's not. Well, either way, it's one of the most graphically violent, like realistic representations of like war and violence in pretty much all of cinematic history. Like that movie right there is like, I mean, there's violence throughout it and stuff and like some cursing, but I mean, that's really the R rating right there. That scene is like profoundly disturbing. And arms blowing up and like people like vaporizing and crap. Yeah, like I remember watching it for the first time. Like I'll never forget that scene of that guy that gets his arm blown off and he's walking around like totally in shock, grabs his arm and just like walks out of frame with it. Like, oh, got to pick this up. It's mine. Like he's, I don't know. It's just like kind of haunting. I think the best part of that, though, isn't so much the part where they're actually in the fight. It's the the pre part where they're on like in the boats. Oh, when they're all like like, pissing themselves. Like pissing, yeah, they're like pissing in their pants. Like, oh shit. Well, and then when they get there, you know, like half of those people get immediately murdered as soon as like the doors open. Like the machine gun fire just starts, and like I think a couple of the guys are like so wrapped up in all their equipment that they drown as soon as they get out of the boat. Like they don't even come back up. That's something that like was supposed to have really happened, like stuff like that. Or how about like the the shot where they actually put you right behind the machine gunner and you're just watching him mow people down? It just hit so hard. And it wasn't like violence for the sake of violence. It was like violence for the sake of like expressing how awful that was. I'm pretty sure I read an article about like World War II vets that went to see that movie that were having palpitations and like passing out and had to be escorted from the theater because it was just too real. I still don't remember Vin Diesel in it. It's been a really long time since I've actually seen that movie. He played Caparzo. He was like little in that movie, though, right? Like, not like a huge, giant, like, jack guy. Well, he was bigger, but I mean, none of the guys really walk around with their shirts off or anything, but he was doing something where he was trying to, like, take a little. There was a family in a house that had been, like, half demolished, and he was trying to, like, take the little girl from the parents because they were like, please take our daughter to safety. And I think when he was reaching up to get her, somebody, like, shot him in the back. That might have been the start of when that sniper was there because they all take cover, and the sniper leaves Vin Diesel laying there, like, bleeding. And they all want to go help him, but the sniper's hoping that somebody else comes out to help him so he can shoot them. Eventually, Barry Pepper takes him out with a shot to the eye. He goes like right through the scope. But um, it was actually really sad because Vin Diesel's character had written this letter for his dad that he wanted to mail home. And he's like laying there dying. And he's like, please take this letter. It's from my dad. It, it's got blood on it because he's covered in blood. And it was just like, yeah. he didn't have a big part in that, but he had a uh, like a memorable part in that. You describing that scene is literally just the exact same sniper scene from... Uh... Enemy at the Gates? Oh. Well, apparently it's the exact same sniper scene from every movie ever. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how many times we can, like, find somebody recopying Full Metal Jacket in a movie. Um, So what's your number two? Or is it my number two? Who goes first? You did your number three already, and I just did my number three, so it's my number two. My number two is the Shawshank Redemption. There's a beach in Shawshank? The the very final scene where Morgan Freeman uh, hops a bus and breaks parole, you know, breaking the law for the second time in his life, and takes a bus to Mexico and just walks up to Andy on a beach in Cihuatanejo. And it's like a very vibrant shot, like, because the movie's very gray up until Morgan Freeman actually, like, leaves prison, you know, and he's walking along 
the rock wall to the tree to get the little box that Andy put for him. It's very sunny and bright. And then when he gets to Mexico, everything's just like really vibrantly colored. And, um, you know, they don't say anything to each other. It's just like the perfect happy ending for an otherwise like super depressing movie. I don't remember the end. My number two, I picked the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. I didn't really pick a scene because the whole movie is about a beach. Anyway, what's your number one? Honorable mentions, bro. Honorable mentions. So I got a couple. I got a couple. I've got uh, Muppet Treasure Island. The whole thing. I like how many are just the whole thing. Yeah. Because that's just like a feel. It's like I feel like this whole movie is the beach. So Muppet Treasure Island. And then the other two are kind of interconnected. Um, one, it's that classic scene that everybody knows from in the movie From Here to Eternity where the guy's like making out with the girl on the beach and the water starts coming in around them. I don't know that movie. I never watched it, honestly. Don't tell anybody. What movie is that? Who's in it? From Here to Eternity. I think it's 1953. Definitely never saw that. Hold on a second. No, I think we're good. We're good with that description. I'm done. You're done. You don't need to tell me anymore. I don't even plan on watching it. For whatever reason, I thought maybe it was that movie with uh, Robin Williams when him and his wife kill themselves and go to like hell or whatever. No, that's um, that's what dreams may come because it's taken from a line from Hamlet. Anywho. Anyway. Um, and then my third honorable mention is also about a couple on a beach when the water comes, but it's a porn blooper. Um, we, we don't need more. Nobody needs more. I'll send you a link if I can find it. On to number one. You don't have any honorable mentions? No. Okay. My number one is the boat launch scene from Castaway. When he finally gets to leave the island because he's been waiting years for like a sail to come in, something that can actually take him out over the breaking waves. And um, the music swells and it's kind of like an interesting, it's a bittersweet moment because he's like happy to be on his way home, uncertain about the future because he's just going out to sea. And uh, in some ways sad to be leaving the place he called home for about four years. So that's my number one. That's your number one? Not the scene where he finds Wilson and gets his new best friend? No, because after that is like the heartbreaking scene where he loses Wilson, where you actually are like kind of sad about a guy who lost a a volleyball because they managed to like write it. I don't don't know. That movie did a lot of really interesting things with only having like one person on screen for basically 40 minutes. Don't think I've ever actually seen, seen the movie. I've just seen scenes from the movie and my favorite scene is the scene when he comes home and finds out his wife doesn't love him anymore. No, she still loves him and she was never his wife. Whatever. All right. My number one is not a movie. This is from a TV show on USA Network called The Sinner. And like, I, I loved this when I discovered it. It's on Netflix. You can watch the first, I think, three seasons now. They're really good. And in it, the, the opening, like the first episode, it's Jessica Beale's on the beach. And she's there with her family. And at some point, she just like robotically stands up, walks over to a man on the beach, and just stabs the shit out of him with an apple peeler. Like, violently murders this man in front of hundreds of people and it's awesome okay well i mean if we're gonna go alternate medium one of my favorite beach scenes is the stranger i mean it's not really alternate medium you already did alternate medium you mean because porn yeah yeah well thank you for joining us for another top 10 tuesdays don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at bearded b-roll and look for us anywhere you find podcasts
Also, check out our website, bearderbroll.com, for info and links to merch. And remember to email us with ideas and suggestions at bearderbroll at gmail.com. And apparently, we have a TikTok now. And the Discord. And a Discord. And a Linktree. Just go to the website. It's all there. I don't think a Linktree is, Linktree is just a website. You don't really need to mention that we have one. You brought it up. I mentioned the Discord. Ah. Bye, everybody.